Good morning. So today's reading is from Colossians chapter 3. We're reading verse 1 to 11. It's on the screen. It's also in your leaflet. Starting at verse 1, Colossians chapter 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Thanks, Emily. So the reading's in your leaflet. Keep that in front of you. So when I was, ooh, what, 22, I bought my first house. This is back in the olden days when you could buy a house on one wage. That's how old I am. Um, but first, I, you know, I mean, the first thing I sorted out, I went straight to the TV rental shop. Do you remember those? TV rental shops. And I rented the biggest, fanciest TV I could get my hands on and the latest VHS player where you, know, you, where you could program a load of numbers to program which TV programs to record. And anyway, I was so pleased with myself. And it kind of made clear what my heart and mind was set on. Um, and what my heart and mind was set on determined what my priorities were in spending money and sorting, spending time sorting things out. And I guess my actions were a reflection of who I thought I was, you know, how I saw myself. So I'd flown the coop, I was independent, got my own income to spend how I like on my own house. Dead pleased with myself um, until my mum said, um, oh, that's very nice, yeah. What are you going to sit on whilst you're watching this telly? (laughs) And what are you going to sleep in afterwards? I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, but I've got a great telly. And who we think we are determines to a large extent what we set our hearts and minds on, which in, de- in turn determines how we live. So the question this morning for us is, who do you think you are? Because getting the answer to that question right is really important for how we live life, for how we keep growing as a Christian. Who do you think you are? Just to recap, we've seen over the last few weeks from this letter to the church in Colossae that in Christ, we're already where we need to be and we already have everything we need. We are united with Christ. His story has become our story. We're so aligned with Jesus that we, Paul, the Apostle Paul can say in chapter 2, verse 20, he says, we have died with him. We died with Christ. And now in chapter 3, verse 1, 
We've been raised with him. His story is our story. We've seen that if anyone tries to add any other requirement for salvation to Jesus, we can say, I'm good, thanks. I have everything in Christ already. We've seen not to let anyone else's rules disqualify us. We've seen not to claim that there are helpful things we can do, helpful disciplines, but what we're not to do is to elevate them to being saving doctrinal must-haves. And last week's passage ended like this, chapter 2, verse 23. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They lack any value. For growing more like Jesus, they're useless. Which begs the question, though, what is valuable? What does work? Because I think quite rightly, we want to be better Christians, don't we? We want to be more like Jesus. (laughs) Of course we do. Jesus is amazing. So what does have value for that? And this morning we're going to see that we need to radically change how we see ourselves, and then we'll start to see uh, what the practical outworking of that is. So just two headings today. They're in your leaflets. For a reality check, get your head in the clouds. Out with the old, in with the new. So first then, for a reality check, we need to get our head in the clouds. Verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. I wonder if you've ever felt like I have from time to time as a Christian Look, I just want someone to tell me what to do. Just like concrete thing, you know. Just give me a checklist. And if I do all that, then I'll objectively know that I'm on the right lines and I'm doing okay. And I'll have that assurance that I'm pleasing God. We just love the concrete like that, don't we? So it's really tempting for me to try and give us a list of do's and don'ts or a seven-step plan to growing in Christ. That if we get it right will pretty much guarantee growth. That'd be great, wouldn't it? But the Apostle Paul doesn't go there. He doesn't want us focusing on external manipulations like that. I don't know if you've ever been to a chiropractor, but they do external manipulations to line up your spine. The trouble is, you have to go back the next week, don't you? Because your spine just goes back to how it was. And that's the thing with external rules. They are rebellious Our rebellious spine snaps us back into position. Now, instead, we need to start with changing how we think of ourselves. We need to get our heads around what is actually real for us right now, this morning. So let's have a look at what's real. Verse 1, just keep verse 1 on the screen, thanks, Robert. Where is Christ? He's at the right hand of God. He's in God's heavenly throne room, ruling everything. But verse 1 again, where are you? Raised with Christ. So that means, I don't know how this works, but that means that you and I right now 
are in God's throne room. Right now, that's our spiritual reality. So we couldn't be any closer, any more on the inside with God than we already are. So how close do you feel to God this morning? I think how close we feel usually depends on how conscious of our sin we are. But do those feelings reflect reality? Well, no. According to verse 1 here, the reality is, verse 3, that those sins died with Christ, we were raised to new life in him, and now we're sat with God, hidden in him, hidden in Christ. So that's how close do you feel? What about how do you see your future with God? Like when Jesus returns... How's that going to go for you? And if I'm honest, I sometimes picture it, like I don't think Jesus would be grudging me being there or anything like that, but I I picture it like um, me like a kind of a bit of a pleb going to a really rich, fancy person's party. I'm their guest and I'm glad I'm there kind of thing. But everybody knows I don't really belong there. Is that how you see your future when Jesus returns? Well, that's totally wrong, isn't it? Verse 4 says, no, get it straight. Just imagine how glorious in his resurrection, fit for heaven body, Jesus will be. You also will appear with him in glory. Not outside the glory, trying to get in. Not doing a good impression of glory. Not admiring the glory from afar. In glory. That will be me and that will be you. Is that your self-perception of your future? And I've just left those on the bottom of your leaflet because I think they're really good things to have a think about. Uh, what you, just unpick in your own head what you think about those and how close you are to God and what your future with him is. And compare that to the reality stated in these verses. Because what we think of our closeness to God and for our future really shapes what we do and why we do it. We change how we see ourselves as we keep looking at these verses. Keep looking to Christ. Keep hanging on to him. Keep trusting that he will save us and be everything for us. Even when that feels impossible. Even when it feels like we inevitably ruin things like we always do. Keep looking to Christ Because we are hidden in him. That is your truest, realist identity. So just from Colossians so far, some things that are true for us, because we're hidden in Jesus, so just rattle through these quickly. 1 verse 12, he's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. We've got redemption, forgiveness of sins, He's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, blemish without blemish and free from accusation. In Christ we've been brought to fullness. He's forgiven all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. All these things are ours in Christ. And knowing these things... Knowing our spiritual reality is the first step towards becoming more like Jesus. 
We set our hearts and minds on things above, not in order to get there, not in order to attain them, but in order to appreciate more and more what is already ours, already ours. And so then living a godly life is about lining our lives now with the spiritual reality of who in Christ we already are. So becoming a better Christian isn't a a bitter grind to make sure we make the grade. No, becoming a better Christian is knowing more and more, deeper and deeper, things above that were already sorted, destined for glory, and that's spilling out into transformed lives of thankfulness. I'll just try a couple of illustrations to get this across. It's like tuning in a radio. If you've got a radio, the radio itself isn't making the music. It's just picking up what's already there, what's already real, the radio waves, that are all, and making them hearable and, and showable. So our lives are genuinely transformed inside out as we tune in to what is already true about us. And the more tuned into the truth about ourselves in Christ we are, the more our behavior broadcasts that frequency. One other illustration, I'm not sure how well this will work, but I'll give it a go anyway. Think of, you've been to a wedding, right? And a wedding reception, and they have the wedding disco at the end, all right? But there's always a grumpy uncle there, isn't there? Arms folded, I'm not dancing. You'll never get me, it's all, it's all noise, it's all rubbish. You won't get me up. But then it comes on. Come on, everyone, he says. Come on, everyone on the dance floor. Get into it. Get all the moves going. Come on, everybody. Do the nut bush. Takes me three, three verses to get it right. Come on. Yeah? Who's done the little hand? You've done the nut bush. If you haven't, you're missing out. What's this got to do with fixing our minds on things above? Don't worry, we'll get there. Uncle Grumpy has got his heart and mind fixed on. This is what you do at a wedding. You dance to the nut bush. And it transforms his behaviour. Not because it has to. But because he loves it. That's why I do the nut bush, anyway. As we fix our minds on things above, just how amazing Jesus is, and our new life hidden in him, well, that starts to transform how we live. Not because we have to, but because we love what our hearts are fixed on. So, what can we do practically to set our minds on things above? not earthly things. Well, obviously, um, we only know what we know about things above because it's written down for us in God's Word, the Bible. Uh, And as we read it, his Spirit ministers Jesus to us as we read it. So we pray and read the Bible, of course. Dwell on these truths. Fill your head with them. Meditate on them. And just know, in all this, like, the big scene is wellness and mindfulness and all that. And biblical meditation is not empty in your head. Biblical meditation is filling your head with God's word and chewing over it. All right? 
But notice, nowhere in this passage does it say to do that on your own. In fact, all the you, look at all the places it says you in this passage. In fact, it's plural, it's yous, or as Americans might say, y'all. So this is written to a church, not to an individual. So fix your mind and hearts on things above in your quiet time on your own, of course, but help one another to do that. Uh, ben and I occasionally catch up with um, a bloke called Dan that we know from when we were at Brighton together. And Dan is just, I just love chatting with Dan because he always just naturally takes the conversation to heavenly things seamlessly. You know, whatever we're talking about, we end up talking about God and things of heaven as well. Seamlessly, like without ever feeling like it's sort of shoehorned in or preaching or anything like that. Be that for each other. Or when friends, I found this a lot, you come across people in really difficult, with friends with really difficult, intractable problems. And let me tell you, you've got Buckley's chance of solving those problems for them, haven't you? But what you can do is cut through all that and read the Bible with them to help them keep looking up. So as much as working on keeping yourself looking up, working on help each other looking up. So how does this work out in day-to-day living? Our next heading, out with the old, in with the new. So there's a really simple rule of thumb that we now have for how we live life, right? For what thoughts and behaviours we'll entertain. Is it the kind of thing that belongs where you are in heaven's throne room? Or is it living like the dead live? Is it exactly the kind of thing that Jesus came to save us from? Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. So is what you're doing, thinking, is it things of earth or things of heaven? Paul zooms in on sexual sin and all the sinful thought life that can go with that. And it's not that sex itself brings God's wrath. It's the idolatry that takes a good, God-created thing, attempts to wrench it away from God and fashion it to serve our own selfish purposes and take God's place in our hearts and minds. But does it fit in with heaven's throne room? So imagine... You see someone and you're instantly attracted to them. There's nothing wrong with that, but what are you going to do with that thought? What sort of conversation could a man have about her, if it's a bloke, what kind of conversation could you have about her in heaven's throne room? I mean, you could say, she's beautiful, and I must say I'm attracted to her, but I just want the best for her. And I don't want to be shallow, just like only interested in looks. When you, Lord, you love everything about her. What you're not going to do is have a chat with God that objectifies her, that imagines seeing and doing what God says only her husband, should she ever have one, get to, get to have access to. And then with having heaven's perspective on her, that she's so important to God that Christ died for her, 
Well, that shows up reducing her to just a body for your gratification, for the evil that it is. So imagine how these conversations, these thoughts go down in heaven's throne room. Or maybe you find yourself feeling being greedy, greedy for success, say, and you find you're making more and more sacrifices, your health, your relationship, church, in order to get there. Well, greed is called idolatry because it's saying to God, actually, I don't trust you. I don't think you're enough. And this other thing I'm giving myself to is going to make up for what I reckon you can't deliver. But as we fix our minds and hearts on who we are now, in Christ we see we've already won. We've already got everything we ever need. Every spiritual blessing is ours. And no future that we plan will be half as successful as appearing with him in glory. So whatever we're up to, does it fit in with heaven's throne room? Put these sins to death. Get rid of them. Throughout our, our married life, we've had, as it seems to me, we've obviously had approximately one room's worth of too much stuff. You know, clutter. Stuff you keep because you never know when you might need it. Or you might want to look at it again. Or it reminds you of something. Well, they can't afford to do that with sexual immorality or with greed. Don't leave yourself little reminders, little ways back in that you might, you know, just in case you ever need them. Put them to death. Put them in a trailer and take them to a tip. You can trust God that you don't need them. You're a different person now with a different home, with no space for those things. Just, they just don't go with who you are anymore or where you live. Paul moves on to other relational sins. Uh, kind of, look, look, all these things would come out in speech, wouldn't they? Stuff we do to each other. Verse 8, But now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Get rid of these things. Not through sheer willpower. Not through following a bunch of rules. Now have a look at verse 7, just before verse 8. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. The life you once lived. Not the new life you live now. The heaven reality of our new life, which we fix our minds and hearts on. Those ways, they're just not you anymore. Verse 9, don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of it, in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Um, when Sharon and I have done marriage prep with people who are going to get married, um, a lot of what you go through is about their family of origin, helping them be aware of all the assumptions and habits and baggage that you bring with you from how you were raised and how your parents did marriage. Because like it or not, that does shape you massively. But the mind shift we need is that whilst it's wise to be wise, the fact that our past can shape and influence us, but it no longer defines us. What defines us now, who we really are, 
at heart is not that person we're ashamed of. We're not that person we wish we'd never been. What defines us now is who God says we are. Raised with Christ, sitting in him in heaven's throne room, looking forward to returning with him, not in the background, not with our tail between our legs, but up front with him in glory. So, for example, it's no longer accurate to say, oh, well, I'm an angry person. But rather, I was an angry person, but I got given new life. It's no longer accurate to only say, I've been deeply hurt in the kind of way that makes every day bitter. Rather, I was hurt so badly, it kind of defined who I was. But now, I've been given new life, new life, a new identity, which means I can trust God to deal with all of that. We've been given, by God's grace, a new self. And our part in growing in that new self is to put to death stuff that doesn't fit in with it, putting on good stuff that does. And we'll look more at the good stuff that does fit in next week. God's part is that he's renewing us by his spirit. So we don't have to go seeking heavenly experiences to grow in Christ. Heaven is being grown in our hearts by God. So because we have this new life, we pursue godliness. We don't pursue godliness to get this new life. We do all this in the power of the new life we already have in the power of the new you, or I should say the power of the new yous, y'all. Verse 11, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So that's not saying that our new self means we're suddenly this just homogenous gloop and we're all the same. Um, it doesn't, it's not doing away with our wonderful uniqueness um, and our cultural differences and all of that. It is saying, however else we might define ourselves by our past, by our ethnicity, our culture, our hairdo, or don't, none of it, none of it trumps being in Christ. However else you might define yourself, none of that trumps being in Christ. Christ is all and is in all who trust and believe in him. So a key part of our new identity, who we really are, is that we share it. We're not the only one with it. We all share it. And, you know, people have left this church, um, and the given reason was, there's no one here like me. And I can sympathize with that to some extent, socially speaking. But it's just not true, is it? It's just not true. Fundamentally, at the very core of who we are, according to God, it's a completely wrong statement. In terms of what is most important in the universe now, there's a glorious unity between us, a sameness of identity that trumps 
any other way of looking at ourselves. So actually, these are exactly the people I need. These are exactly the people you need to keep looking up, setting our hearts and minds on things above. To sum up then, growing more like Jesus doesn't come from compliance to a bunch of external rules. And we don't need any extras more than Jesus. Growing more like Jesus comes from radically changing how we see ourselves, from fixing our hearts and minds on what is true in heaven right now. We are in Christ, hidden in him. We grow from knowing that glorious reality as God works in us to make us more like Jesus. Seeing ever clearer what fits in with life in God's throne room and what to get rid of and put to death. Let's pray. Lord God, please help us to keep looking up. Please help us to keep knowing deeper and deeper evermore our identity in Christ, that we're hidden in him, our spiritual reality, that we're in Christ, in heaven's throne room, destined to return with you in glory. Please help us to put off earthly things and put on, keep thinking, filling it, setting our hearts and minds of things above. Amen.